Hey, so my name is Jordan. I am one of the pastors, and I am grateful to be with you guys today um, as we are celebrating Christmas here at Renaissance. Um, my wife is pregnant, very pregnant, as you have seen her when she did the announcements. And uh, right now we are um, thinking about names for our son to be. Um, it has to be a J because that's the best letter for, for names. Um, but we don't tell anybody what we're thinking because uh, people are so ridiculous when it comes to names that they um, would protest if we said a name that reminded them of some, someone that they didn't like, right? So uh, you can tell a friend, like, hey, we're thinking about John. And they're like, John? John? John. You're going to name your kid John? I knew a kid named John that ate boogers until he was 12. Please don't name the kid John. Uh, all of those negative events that may uh, be associated with someone, we attach to their name, even more importantly than their name, we attach that to their identity. Subconsciously, even though we know that there'll be different people, um, in some ways, we think names represent who someone will be. Now, in Scripture, when you get to concepts of names, it's much more important than what sounds good, and it's much more important than uh, what we think matches with the, the rest of the names in the family. In Scripture, a name meant someone's reality. It was far more serious than uh, we, could, uh, we do today in modern times in America, um, and it mentions it so frequently that whenever God encountered someone in Scripture, a lot of times what would happen was God would change the person's name. Uh, there's a story of a guy named Jacob in the Bible, and Jacob was uh, a, a con man. Now, very interesting, interestingly, his name meant deceitful, and he lived up to his name. Now, when Jacob had an encounter with God, and God profoundly changed his life, God didn't just change his life, he changed his name to Israel, because his name had to match his new identity. Now, that's really important because in Scripture, when we see God referred to as different names or when we see um, God wanting to be addressed in certain ways or we see God reveal himself through certain names, it's bigger than a name. It's a reality. What God intends for us to communicate through his names and through how we address him is the reality of who he is. Now, there's a scripture that we're going to walk through for, the, uh, for today that's going to frame the conversation, and it comes from the book of Matthew, and Matthew is one of the four Gospels in the New Testament, and the Gospels were the life accounts of Jesus. So if you just wanted to say, hey, I want to learn about Jesus, picking up a Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John would be a fantastic place to start. And Matthew starts in the beginning of the story, and uh, it goes like this. It should be on the screens beside me. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his Mary, mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The birth of Jesus came with it a declaration of what his name would mean, Emmanuel, God with us. 
What the scripture writers are telling us here is more than a, 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 a nickname, is that God's reality would be something so profound that we would know God in such a way that we would know God to be with us. Those three words, God with us, are probably three of the most profound words ever written in the entire New Testament, that the God of all creation, the God who created this world somehow now has pierced our planet and has come to dwell among us. God with us. I've been thinking about this all week, um, just really practically in myself, um, and this might apply to you. Uh, what would give you anxiety right now if you really believed that saying? If you really believe that reality that Matthew is writing about, that God is with you, what would actually give you anxiety? What would you fear about your future if you truly believed and knew that God, the God of the universe, was not just alongside for the journey, but God was with you? Those three words, God with us, are profound. Now, as we come to this Christmas season, uh, there's a couple of things um, that give me fear. Um, and uh, certainly this story of Christmas, you might have read the scripture a couple of times. Um, if you've been to church around Christmas time, there's only a certain number of scriptures that get read. And the first fear I always have when we approach conversations about this is just that you've heard it before. And with familiarity comes with a certain level of numbness where it's like, well, yes, God is with me. And what else? Now, if we need anything in these moments, uh, it would be an awareness of how profound and how deep these words truly are. Um, no matter how great something is, uh, we can get up to it. Uh, a few months back, I was on an airplane, and um, I decided to do some work. And I took out my laptop, opened it up, paid the $7,000 for the Wi-Fi package, <laughs> and uh, opened it up, and it was, it was slow. And I was like, oh my god, uh, the Wi-Fi is slow. And um, I started thinking about, like, Jordan, you are absolutely ridiculous. Um, I grew up in, I was born in the, in the early, early, early 80s, and I, I remember when the internet was created. You remember that? Millennials, you might want to hold someone's hand for this, because this is going to be a kind of a sad time. When, I was, when we first got the internet, you got the little AOL discs that came to your house. And you would turn your computer on, it would take like seven minutes to load. You would just turn the internet on, walk out the room, go to the kitchen, get a Hot Pocket, put it in a microwave, come back, let it cool, and then you would load a web page. And then you would do the whole thing all over again. And this is, if not, God forbid one of your parents picks up the phone while you're trying to use the internet. Mom, I'm trying to use the internet, I got a history report. The internet was so slow. But we loved it. It was new. It, it allowed us to do things that we could have never done and never dreamed about in a million years. I would have never dreamed in a million years, 15-year-old Jordan would have never thought that one day I could be on a plane going 500 miles an hour eating roasted almonds on the internet. Like, this doesn't, this doesn't make any sense. And there I was complaining, ah, oh, the internet is slow. It is a miracle that you can be gliding through the air on, in tons and tons of steel, surfing the internet and in uh, just complete comfort. And no matter how great something is, uh, if we've had it before, it's, we start to get numb to how good something truly is. Hey, the Christmas story is even better than the internet. Uh, the Christmas story is one of those things that uh, should, in a lot of ways, wake us up and uh, do something to us that God himself has come and entered into this world. And I would hate, 
I would hate so much if the familiarity of this story would lull you to sleep and you'd be thinking, oh, well, um, God came to be with us, and what else? Now, a second thing that makes Christmas season a little tough is um, it brings certain questions to us that we don't have to deal with as much other times of the year. And specifically, when we come to Christmas and we think about Jesus coming to be among us and coming to live uh, with us, uh, I think it asks us the question um, that we need to consider is this, do I want God himself or do I want what God provides for me? Do I want what God provides for me or do I want God himself? If you just want what God provides for you, then it's kind of unexciting to hear that God has come to earth, if, you, if there's no tangible benefit, if it's not, if I can't see a direct correlation to how my life is going to be made better, but what if God has come to you and your life is going to be more difficult as a result of that? Is he still valuable then? In Christmas time, when we think and we stop and we pause and we look at God coming to earth to be with us, I think we have to sit in that tension for a little bit to say, do I want God uh, himself or do I want what God provides for me? Uh, there's a pretty sad scripture in John 1, 11, where, G- where John talks about when Jesus first came to the world, and he said, uh, Jesus came to his own, and his own didn't receive him. Now, that word did not receive is a Greek word, paralambano, um, and it talks more about the spirit of how you receive something as opposed to just you actually taking it. And it's basically saying this, Jesus came to his own people, and they accepted him, and they tolerated him, and they ke- let it be peaceful but they didn't truly receive him. Here's my fear for myself, that my mind and my heart and my desires are so stirred up to what God can provide for me and not God himself. And to spend some time just centered in that, do I want God himself or do I want what God can provide for me? All of us have had those experiences where someone has gotten you a horrendous Christmas gift and um, that person might be sitting next to you right now, so um, (laughs) don't nudge them. And you have to pull off an Oscar-level performance uh, that, yeah, oh, yo, yo, that's what's up, man, yo, that's what's up. (laughs) You just nod your head like, yeah, okay, you shouldn't have. (laughs) No, really, you absolutely shouldn't have done that. Uh, Years ago, um, we have a secret Santa in my family, and um, my uncle drew my name, and we're passing gifts around, and all the men were passing gifts around, mostly Modell's gift cards, and we were, um, it got to my turn to receive my gift, and I see him pull out of the bag this red liquid, it was uh, strawberry-scented body wash. (laughs) And the seal was taken off, so it wasn't even new. And I remember sitting there thinking like, okay, uh, thank you for, for that. And not wanting to disrupt anything and not wanting to kill the vibes in the house, I took and I received the gift. But even though I received it, I really didn't receive it. I took it just to keep the peace. I took it just, uh, just to have it so that nobody was upset in the house. But I didn't truly want it. I didn't take it into, it didn't change me. It didn't excite me. It didn't do anything in my life other than going to garbage can as soon as I got home. In John 1.11, when it says Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him, here's what he's saying. Jesus came to his own people, and his own people wanted to keep the peace. His own people wanted uh, to see what they can get out of him, but once Jesus was no longer useful to them, they discarded him as fast as I threw away that strawberry-scented body wash. And I would hate for us to go through this Christmas season 
and miss out on the wonderful opportunity that we have to recenter our lives around Jesus and ask ourselves that hard question, God, do I really want you or do I want just what you can provide for me? I think when we see the magnitude of the Christmas story, it can help steer us more and more in that direction, away from selfishness, which all of us have, and more and more giving up of ourselves to truly find something beautiful in Jesus that actually can change us. Those three words, God with us, are so profound. Um, I think um, we can spend all day talking about the different ways um, that that fleshes out in our life and what practically that changes in us, but I want to hit on a couple of things. And the first thing of what that means for God to be with us is that uh, Jesus is God in the flesh incarnate. Now, theologians throw around this big word called incarnation, and it basically means that God himself has come in the form of Jesus. God himself and Jesus has borne the punishment that we deserved. Jesus is not some poor, innocent person born in the wrong place at the wrong time that somehow drew God's short straw and was chosen to go into the cross, but rather it was God himself that has come for us. I remember being in high school, and um, the best thing you could ever see in high school is when you walk into the, the room and you see that big 5,000-pound TV on the TV stand, and you look at your teacher's desk and you see there's a substitute teacher. Uh, I apologize in advance to any substitute teachers because we used to terrorize them uh, at, at every turn, um, mainly because we knew those substitutes had no authority. We knew that they had no lesson plan. We knew that they were completely inept to do anything but keep us out of trouble, so we were going to make them earn their money that day. <laughs> when Scripture says that Jesus came and it says God with us, it means this, Jesus is not a substitute teacher that doesn't have power, authority, and a plan in place to, get to govern your life. He's not uh, the best available thing. He is the thing. He's not God's substitute that he sent that can kind of relate to us and could kind of do the job. This is saying that God sent himself. When you want to get the job done right, go do it yourself. And when Scripture says that uh, Jesus came in the form of uh, uh, in, that is God with us, it's saying we have not received a secondhand, lower version of God, but we have seen God himself. Uh, there's a scripture in Mark 2, it's a dramatic uh, turn in scripture where there's a paralyzed man and he's with his four friends and his four friends bust into the house and lower him to the floor. And when Jesus sees him, Jesus looks at him and says, son, your sins are forgiven. Outraged, others in the religious community say, who on earth has authority to forgive sins except for God alone? And Jesus says, just so that you'll know that I have not just the authority to uh, forgive sins, I'm gonna, and, but also to heal, he told the man, son, get up and walk, and your, son, and your sins are also forgiven. And they marveled at his authority. Listen, Jesus is not second best. He's not uh, a replacement substitute teacher. When, when the Bible says that it is God with us, it means to communicate to us that the reality of what has hit this earth is the fullness of God. There's a scripture in Colossians where it talks about this, and it says, um, uh, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Um, what this adds up to is that Christ himself is the fullness of God wrapped up in flesh. And if you want to know, here's what it means. If you want to know what is God like, if you've ever had that question, hey, what would God actually be like? How would God actually navigate the situation? All you have to do is look at Jesus. 
the most compelling figure in the entirety of history. Uh, John Gerstner is a theologian, and he talked about Jesus and how profound it was when he came and just how otherworldly Jesus was, that he couldn't have been someone that we made up. Uh, he says, in Jesus Christ, we see virtues combined that never anywhere else are combined. We see tenderness without weakness, strength without a milligram of harshness, humility without uncertainty. You see unbending convictions and yet complete and utter approachability. You see power without the slightest insensitivity. You see passion without the slightest prejudice. You see total integrity without any rigidity. Never unthinking, never a false word, never a misstep. And on Christmas, we pause to look at uh, Jesus. This God has come to be with us. Now, what does all that add up to for you and me? Here's one of the things that um, grieves me about myself and uh, probably could be true for you uh, in your life. Um, I spend so little time sometimes truly investigating uh, the life and teachings of Jesus. And I wonder, you know, why I'm not fully getting all of what I want to get out of my walk with God. And I think about, God, you have come to this world in Jesus, and I spend so little time investing and investigating uh, who you are and what your life is actually like and who, uh, who am I as a result of uh, what you have spoken over my life. And if there's anything that my hope is for myself and for you in this, uh, in this month and in the new year is a more dedicated um, passion towards learning and reading the scriptures and learn who Jesus is. Think about it like this. If God has physically come into the world in Jesus, and we have the accounts of his life and his teachings and what God wants for you, how crazy would we be? Just let dust collect on Bibles, unread, unsearched. I think we'd be doing ourselves a terrible disservice. Uh, secondly, when Scripture tells us that God will be called Emmanuel, God with us, that means emphatically that God is with us, not against us. God is with us, not against us. Uh, one of the fears that I have in life is that um, in, right now in heaven, there are these two scales being piled up, and they're manned by angels who are basically uh, checking the scale to see, well, did Jordan do this? Check. Put something on the good side. Did Jordan do that? Nope. Put something on the bad side. And my fear is, quite honestly, it's unhealthy, and it's not uh, what Scripture reveals, but it's that God uh, is not with me unless I've done a good enough job to deserve his love. Many of you guys, I'm sure, can resonate with that fear, that deep down inside, no matter what we say, yeah, we, yeah, 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 we say all of this, God is with us, and we say that Jesus so loved the world, and we read all these scriptures, but it doesn't make its way to our heart where we truly believe that God is with us. God is for you, not against you. And we see that so often uh, more concentrated today in um, what it looks like for what God had to... what. God underwent to come to be with us. There's a scripture in Isaiah where the prophet kind of goes through big detail on what it looked like for God to empty himself and to come to be uh, in this world, knowing that he would be mistreated, knowing that he would be rejected. Isaiah says it like this, who has believed what we have heard and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root of dry ground. He didn't have any impressive form or majesty that we should look to him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we did not value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. 
But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have turned our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment, and who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck down because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Now, why does the scripture writer go into such detail about the misery that Jesus would endure on earth? To let us know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus knew what he was getting into, and he did it in pursuit of us, not because Jesus kind of tolerates you, not because Jesus kind of wants you to do a whole lot better job of your morning devotional time, but because Jesus, for unexplainable reasons, is madly in pursuit and in love with his people. A theologian once told a story about a king um, who looked down one day and saw a woman who caught his eyes, and uh, she was a peasant woman who was wearing rags, and he, a king, um, knew that he couldn't just go up to her and talk to her. Day by day, he would look at her, and his affection for her grew more and more. And suddenly, one day, he went to his advisors and said, hey, I'm in love with this woman. But he knew he couldn't just go down with his king's robe and go up to her and say, yo, shorty, let me holler at you for a second. Because uh, he couldn't know for certain that, you know, of course, she probably would have agreed to go with him because he was a king. She was a peasant. She probably would have felt like she had no choice in the entire matter. His advisors came up with a plan that says, hey, if you really want her to love you for you, and if you really don't want her to feel forced in this matter, man, you got to give up your king's robes. So the king throws his scepter to the side, takes his crown off, puts it down on a table, um, and uh, puts on the rags of a peasant. And he doesn't just go down to the neighborhood just for a couple of days. He moves into the neighborhood. And as he moves in, he gets a job. And day by day, he's working alongside of this peasant girl, hoping to start up a conversation. One day the conversation clicks and one thing leads to another. They fall in love and they're planning their wedding day. He tells her, hey, come outside at this time and we'll, I'll come and pick you up. And as uh, she comes outside in the, in the best dress that she has, she comes out and sees a procession fit for royalty. She looks back and looks confused, wondering what this could be all about because she knows it's not for her. Suddenly, this man who she thought was a peasant, she realizes is a king. Now, why would the king give up all of his royalty? Why would the king put himself through these situations as for love? He didn't do it because he had to. It wasn't that he uh, was forced to do any of these things. He went in pursuit of her in love. Now, Scripture tells us that our God is a king who became a peasant in pursuit of us, and he gave up all of himself. Scripture says in Philippians that he emptied himself and came down in pursuit of you and for me, and it wasn't because God kind of tolerates you. It was because God, for unexplainable reasons, looked at you with affection in his eyes, and he knew that the best way for him to come, the, the, the way for mankind to be reconciled between him and himself was for him to come in Jesus, and that is exactly what he did. Know what that means? That means 
Despite how messed up you might think you are, it means that there's no sin that you've committed that he cannot forgive and he will not forgive. There's no shame that you have tried to cover up that he doesn't see and he still loves. He knows we're peasants. He knows we're ragged and he loves us anyway. There's no failed attempt that disqualifies you. The failed attempts that you've had last week, yesterday, and this morning. And there's no barrier presently in place that can keep you from him. The gospel is the only thing that says that God became a peasant, emphatically to show us that God is with us, not against us. I heard an old sermon years ago. Uh, my pastor preached a sermon that it wasn't, it wasn't the nails that held him to the cross. It wasn't nails that they needed. They didn't need to, to tie him up. It was love that held Jesus to the cross. It is love that sent God in the form of Jesus to pursue us. And if you have any other uh, thought in your mind about what God is like, I would beg you to consider the reality of who God is revealing himself in Scripture, that he is God with us who has come and emptied himself for you and for me. Now, do you think God did all of that so you can feel guilty and less than? Of course not. For some of you guys, um, you're newer to church and you're newer to faith, and um, you hear this message about who Jesus is and the lengths that he's gone to you, and, and listen, I don't want to move forward without um, uh, asking you to consider something, uh, what your life would be like if you decided to take a step in pursuit of the one who has been pursuing you all along. Uh, in your programs, you should have gotten something, this, uh, a card, it's called a next step card, uh, and in this next step card, it's, uh, it's a way for you just to sign up to get more information about what your life would look like if you were to take this next step in faith and to follow Jesus and to reach back for the one who has been in pursuit of us. After service, you can drop that off at the info desk. Um, but I think the other implication for us in here who have already placed our faith in Jesus is, man, if God went to these great lengths for us, then what's keeping you from him right now? What's keeping you from a passionate pursuit of him? I've told the story a number of times. Um, uh, growing up, um, I used to get into a bunch of fights because I, um, I was short and I had a Napoleon complex. Um, and um, I didn't want anybody to ever chump me because like, that was like the worst thing for, that was the worst thing that could have ever happened to me. And, uh, but there's only one person in my life who has really the ultimate authority to just say things kind of disrespectfully. And that's my pops because uh, uh, his love for me and his commitment to me is so unquestioned that even when he, you know, he would come into my room, I moved back in with my parents after I um, was kind of in transition with apartments for a month. My pops would walk into the room at six in the morning and just say, yo, walk the dog. I'm like, you're already awake. Why would I? Like, that's just disrespectful. But as disrespectful and as crazy as it was, I would get up and do it. You want to know why? Because I never for one second questioned his love and commitment to me. Listen, here's the story of Christmas. You can never for one second question God's love and commitment to you. So even if God is calling, even if you are right now in, a, in the valley of decision and the, and the options in front of you are go the easy road or go the hard road that Jesus is calling you down, I would beg you to go down that hard road trusting that whatever it is that he has for you, whatever plan it is for your life, he is so ultimately trustworthy that he would never put you in a position that is not ultimately for your good and his glory. And he could be trusted. Some of us need to chew on this for a little bit, the lengths to which God has come for us. And consider 
uh, the way that we're living our life right now and whether or not we are availing ourselves to this humble, meek, gentle Savior that bids us and tells us to come forward another step. Lastly, in the scripture, we see that God is with us, not just with me. Uh, what God is up to is not creating a new person, but a new people. Um, it's not just that God is with you individually, although that is certainly uh, a very true thing, but that God is with us corporately. And there is something powerful and profound about what happens when we gather together in worship, when we gather together in community to live and to, to hear about in the wonders of who God is and what that looks like for our lives. Uh, one of the best things about Christmas time and, and uh, holiday time in general is uh, my family gets together, and um, uh, my family is crazy, so I don't like being with them too long, but um, for the first few hours, it's always a good time. Uh, no, nah, my family is great. I'm so often uh, surprised by when I'm with my family how much uh, I'm no longer Jordan, the, the pastor or the church planter. I'm just Jordan. And I'm loved not because of anything that I do, but just because of who I am. The values that my, um, uh, my family has instilled in us for, for generations, I see those start to come out. And I'm just reminded of the beauty of what it looks like to just be loved, not for what you do, but for who you are. In the Christian community, uh, we are reminded of that value, that you and I are loved not for what we do, but for who we are. And we need each other. We need the us in order to come to this realization more and more that God is with us. Now, the choir is going to come back up, and we're going to sing some more songs. Um, and this next song is one of my uh, personal favorites. Um, I've made them sing it here. So, um, no, um, it's a song... Uh, called Oh Holy Night. And here's what I want you guys to do uh, during the song. If you could, you can rise in uh, preparation for it. Um, and you can rise right now. I was just kind of like, <laughs> should we, should we not? And I, my hope and my prayer is that this song would be a prayer that we sing set to words. Let me go through some of these lyrics. Oh Holy Night. The stars are brightly shining. It's the night of our dear Savior's birth. What amount of celebration and anticipation um, should be ringing in our hearts to think of uh, what God has done in coming to this world? Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. My hope and our prayer is that in these moments where we come together and we sing and we worship together, that our souls would feel the worth of God, our Savior. Music is great, and the music is comforting, and the choir is incredible, but our hope and our prayer is that our souls, deep down, our innermost pieces, would feel the worth, the exceeding value of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, as we are here celebrating your birth and celebrating uh, all that you are, God, don't let us just sing songs that remind us of when we were kids. Don't let these be just words that we, we hear and we rattle off. But Lord, would we feel the worth of you? Would it stir us in ways that we didn't even think was possible? God, you know exactly where we're at. You know exactly what's going on in our minds and our hearts. You know the things we're confused about. And Father, I just pray that you would lead us, even in this moment, to see the surpassing value of knowing Christ our Lord.
God, for those of us in this room who are newer, and, and maybe this is even new for them, God, I pray that they would feel something different than they've ever felt before. I pray that you would stir up something inside of us to truly know that you are with us. God, help this to be our reality, not just uh, a declaration, but the reality that you are with us, and let that permeate the depths of our soul. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.